0: Here in Africa we need good moral well-educated people with good intentions who have money. Yeah. Unfortunately at this point in time the people on this continent who have money either got through corruption or are just and their intentions downright are not right. yeah or they're just downright idiots yeah <laughs> So we need people who are wealthy well-educated, and have good intentions. Aliko okay. Dangote is an is, example of that. He has the money and has the intention to raise Nigeria through the investments his business makes. And then another example. Hello, my name is Akoto Lubai, and I'm the host and founder of the Ufanisi podcast. And today's episode, episode three, will be about economics in the context of Africa and Pan-Africanism. And my guest for today will be Adrian Leshan, who is currently a second year student at Strathmore University, pursuing a degree in finance, and he's a long-time friend of mine. Thank you, Leshan, for being with us here today. Thank you. It's actually
1: my pleasure to be
0: here. And it's great to see what you're doing, like
1: enlightening these guys with bursts of knowledge so yeah thank you for having me
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay so to start off with okay we'll start the start off the podcast with i guess the major issue of our time as at the time of recording in october of 2020 which is the coronavirus pandemic so the pandemic has more or less accelerated automation And part of the danger accelerated automation presents for Africa is that if you look at the traditional path countries have used in order to achieve high living standards, it has basically been improving agriculture, then entering light manufacturing like textile production, then heavy manufacturing like, say, shipbuilding, then moving on to (laughs) a service economy or an economy that produces high technology like software and such things. So you find that if there's accelerated automation, the danger is the fusion of AI and robotics may deny Africa the chance to be able to get to the stage of light and heavy manufacturing that are labor-intensive, therefore denying African countries a viable path towards achieving high living standards. So what's your view on this? My view on this is...
1: You know, as much as people say that AI and robotics will be the death of many jobs, mm. how I see it, I see it as an opportunity for Africans to level up their education in such matters. Mm. Because what, when you from from the from the many things I have read and the the, the, the many things I've seen, I've seen that actually when you speak of AI and robotics they will be for the betterment of jobs mm. like for example you take take an example that I'm a carpenter yeah. right and you know that maybe you need to do precision drilling on the wall and fixing screws on the wall mm. i can i can you know you know cuz now we are moving from a traditional side of things what i can do is i can be a carpenter but i'm employing robotics and ai to help me such that i fix the wall Mm. But I'm also showing the robot, okay, this is where I need you mm. to drill because, you know, I have the knowledge. The robot is good at positioning how to fix it. Yeah. And the AI is what is the brain behind the robot. so mm. when 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 you speak of automation, I feel like it will bring a new a new wave of learning mm. to Africans so that we'll be in line with, okay the other first world countries
0: if, okay yeah but taking into consideration our socioeconomic context first and foremost education is highly underinvested in in this continent there's a great lack of telecommunications infrastructure like mobile cell towers or like fiber optic cables so And then you find countries like Chad with a literacy rate of 30%. So, if most, I'd say most or many, or a large portion of Africans lack basic traditional literacy like reading and writing, so can you really, in a realistic, realistically expect them to go from perhaps not knowing how to read and write, only knowing it at a basic level, to now being able to code AI? And also, before we like transform our education systems and build up those skills within the population, we need other means of creating wealth and economic activity, which, in my view, will simply have to be labor-intensive.
1: To answer off your first question, I'll put it like this. Mm. I like that example that you've cited of child. Of course, this is not a wave, you know, it, it won't take off in all the countries, mm-hmm. but if you look at the countries that are already somewhere, take for example, Egypt, Nigeria, South Africa, they can be the pioneers, mm. such that when they lead the way, other Africans that are in a better, po- a better off position slightly below, mm. like Kenya and the likes, mm. they can now take off on that trajectory. Okay. So all I'm saying is it's not gonna take off immediately for all for all countries because you know I was shocked that I went to Nakuru um, not too long ago and I was shocked to find that Uber is not in service there. Mm. Can you imagine? So and Nakuru is actually quite um, quite a a big town. Mm. So uh, all I'm saying is it 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 takes time to adopt. And to fully move I'm not saying that it, uber won't get there but it will get there okay at some point in time okay. and on the on the second issue I agree with you on on moving pole, pole up the chain mm-hmm. to to do light manufacturing etc and heavy heavy labor intensive things so mm-hmm. as to better our economy you I agree with you on that okay
0: and then. We see that, and the next point will be that, okay, um, African countries, most of them get their wealth from exporting mineral resources, like Nigeria with oil. South Africa exports diamond, platinum and gold, uranium, Madagascar, vanilla. so more or less, we need to restructure our economies and to diversify them. Okay, personally, I think in order to do that, we see Western countries and mainly Western-dominated institutions like the IMF and World Bank sell us this this lie, and I call it a lie, of free market capitalism, whereas I think increasingly we Africans view the, the model used by... Asian countries as the best model for development. Basically, in the same model used by countries like China, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, Malaysia, Thailand. So more or less, what they do is like the economic model is has two aspects. The first aspect is mercantilism. This is whereby you try to maximize than amount of goods you export while minimizing imports and state capitalism whereby parastatals or government owned companies dominate the economy. So I view that as a more viable model than the lie of free market capitalism.
1: Mm, all right. There's something you mentioned at the start, um, about countries in Africa that have Minerals, mm. for example, Nigeria oil and South Africa with its many minerals. And um, one thing I've always seen: if we really want to, also another way. I'm sorry. If another way, I, I was I was thinking of it as you were talking. Mm. If we really want to improve the African economy, is we have to have more control over those resources ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because if you take an example of Nigeria. The oil does not really benefit Nigeria as mm-hmm. much as it benefits the big Western corporations that are behind it. Mm-hmm. Nigeria, was it in 2014, 2014 or 2016? Mm. I'm not too sure, but I'm going to check. They lost over $16 billion. They lost over $16 billion in revenue. And you know what they do. You know, basically, the, the payment system is such that maybe if you're the corporation, mm. you come and re- you dig out the oil, you refine it, then I'm going to take royalties from the oil that you take from us. But you see, what they go and do is that they understate their earnings and whatnot. Mm. So they, they might be make, they might be making big margins on this other end, mm-hmm. yet they come and lie to this other side. And you find that the African people, we ourselves, are under benefiting and the resource is ours mm. so really like we should strive to to have better control of those resources Amma, what, what what do you think about about
0: such okay this is something to explore a bit later in the podcast but part of what is preventing us from actively like say adding value to those minerals because also having minerals alone is not valuable in itself. What makes minerals truly valuable is refining them then making products out of them. But what actively prevents us from doing that uh, is basically economic imperialism that we'll explore a bit later in the podcast. It's a fair point that we need more control. But unless we address the structural issues or that affect us from doing so then you won't go far because something we need to consider is that what you're essentially trying to do is to play the game of global capitalism and global capitalism is a very vicious, highly vicious I don't think people truly understand just how vicious it is and highly competitive and in order to do so it will request to unite and basically to gain strength so i guess this brings me to my next point like about debt and aid part of the means of economic imperialism so there is this really famous book by the zambian economist Dambisa moyo called dead aid so basically in her book she argues that aid all the billions of dollars in aid africa has gotten in like the last 60 years have not been of, has not been of any benefit to Africa, mainly because aid enables corrupt governments to stay in power and it reduces accountability between the government and its citizens because if the citizens pay tax, it's the responsibility of the government to use that tax responsibly for the benefit of society. If the government knows that it can just get money from elsewhere, that's not tax money, then they're not really incentivized to be accountable then also aid is often used as a form of bribery to governments officially we'll say we'll sign this pretty piece of paper in front of cameras we appear on bbc cnn but the deals being made off camera in the back rooms are basically bribery because they know once this money goes to the accounts of that government it will just be stolen by corrupt individuals
1: and also, another issue with debt.
0: No, not debt aid.
1: Aid, financial aid. Yes, sorry. Yeah. Another issue that I found with financial aid. Um, not so long ago, I was watching um, a, a, a conference on, on, on World, a World Economic Forum conference. Mm-hmm. And basically, what one, one of the speakers there was arguing was that mm-hmm. most of this foreign aid that we receive, maybe from IMF from the from the World Bank. Even individual countries. Yeah, yeah, true. Is mostly um, how can I put it? They they give you aid in places, you know, if if I require, can I say if I want to if I want aid for infrastructure projects that will remove my dependency on Western countries, if you bring to them Um. Um. A petition, not a petition. What what can I call it? If I want to borrow from you, what what will I? No, I'm looking for the word. But okay, like
0: I just ask you for money. Yes. Okay. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Maybe
1: if I put a request, if I put down a request, Mm. and I'm like, this is for infrastructure that maybe in a way will make us be independent of Western control. They won't give you that money. Mm -hmm. But what they do is that they will give you the money for things other than the things that will will unpeg you from okay. western from western influence so really um when you speak of foreign aid it's it might look like a good thing mm-hmm. but in a way it's an evil whereby it's not really for your benefit mm-hmm. they still want to colonize us as africans and we really so have to do away with. so more or
0: less they'll give you aid for like useless for useless things, things exactly yeah, useless things that don't allow you yeah, to so that you keep coming
1: back to mm-hmm. them because you know maybe if you finance in, you know when you finance infrastructure one thing is infrastructure is a key player in growth of gdp mm-hmm. in, in a country mm-hmm. and maybe they don't want that happening because maybe they see you will you'll be less reliant on them
0: okay. in a way okay you understand yeah Partly to add on to what you've said about infrastructure, There's this is program by China, the Chinese government called the Belt and Road Initiative. So its plan is mainly to give developing countries loans in order for them to build infrastructure. And often a complaint I see by Western governments is that these loans are predatory they call it debt-trap diplomacy. But at the same time, you have to ask where are the alternatives by these Western governments because in the last like seven months during this pandemic, we've seen Western governments take on trillions upon trillions of dollars in debt in order to cushion the economies from the effects of the virus, meaning that if they wanted to, they could have equaled and even surpassed the amount invested by China in order to give these developing countries loans in order to build infrastructure. And also, China has helped African countries build more infrastructure in the last 20 years than Western governments have in 500 years. years, So then also you have to ask, then, where is the alternative? But at the same time, also have to look at the manner in which China gives out these loans. So the Chinese government will take their money, give it to, say, the Kenyan government in order to construct a railway. Hidden within the contracts of that loan, the Chinese government says that the engineers and architects who will supervise this construction must be Chinese. The steel and concrete used to build this railway must come from China, despite Kenya producing its own concrete and steel. And the construction companies building the railway must be Chinese. So the government goes from the Chinese government to the Kenyan government, which then pays it out to Chinese engineers and Chinese construction companies that take that money back to China. So the money has just circulated, just gone full circle. But now you see the Kenyan government is left with a loan that it must pay back. And that money has not really entered its own economy.
1: But you see, I feel like any country will have done that. As much as you're saying China did that, mm-hmm. I mean, if, even if you say, I don't know if it was the Americans, the Americans have done even worse evil than that. And, you know, because let me tell you, what I believe is that there is no country that, has its int- that holds your interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Each country, it's like every man for himself. Mm-hmm. But in the context of countries, it's every country for itself. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to look at it as a necessary evil. Because uh, at the end of the day...
0: So we must it, accept necessary evil that harms us. It,
1: don't, don't look at it. <laughs> you know, it has... It, it It's a two-way thing. It's uh, a two-way paradigm over here. Yeah, That in one side, mm-hmm. you still have to pay back that money. Mm-hmm. But in the other side, it's developed your country. You have railways that connect you from the port. You have better transportation services mm-hmm. that that is a that is a boost to the country's GDP. So as much as you're benefiting, you're benefiting at a cost, mm-hmm. but it's better than nothing.
0: Okay. If then you put
1: it if I put it if I may put it like that.
0: Okay. But then you also have to ask about the feasibility of some of these projects because in the last like three years, yes, China has built an actual railway right here in Kenya, and people question the feasibility of this standard gauge railway because one, it's running losses, and two, the government has to pay back this loan which it hopes to pay with profits from this railway. And then thirdly, the government has never made the contracts of this railway public Uh, despite Kenya being a democracy, despite us having freedom of information laws, despite people going to court to sue the government for the government to release the details of this contract to the public. But, okay, here I feel like it's simply the fault of Kenyans because, okay, like you said, every country for itself, well, in this life, people will screw you over for as long as you allow them to screw you over. And fo- it's, it's just that simple and that unfortunate, to be, to be really honest. You know, <laughs> with Kenya, <laughs> yeah. Kenya is a different,
1: Kenya is just a different breed, mm. you know. Of course I know, if, you know, we can already sense there is something there. Once they start playing these games of their hiding the documents, what, just know that whatever is in there is
0: mm. explosive.
1: Yeah, it's very will make us shiver <laughs> when we see it. So I, I feel like it's it's even better that mm-hmm. that we don't look at it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, outside... outside, Ignorance
0: world, is not bliss.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss yeah. till
0: the economy <laughs> yeah. starts collapsing. Till it from starts Louisville. sinking. Yeah.
1: But when you look at other countries anyway, aside from Kenya, because mm-hmm. you've mentioned a, a good point of the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm-hmm. If you look at a country like Djibouti, mm-hmm. is it Djibouti? Yeah, Djibouti. They, they are having one of the biggest ports. I th- I, th- I think it will be the biggest port mm-hmm. in Africa mm-hmm. post, its, post its completion. Mm-hmm. It's either completed or it's not yet completed. Okay. I'm not too sure. But it's something that you can always check up. But it's a $3 billion project that is financed by China. That is financed by China. Mm. And um, if, if you look at it, you know, the funny thing is that there have, there have been many other countries mm-hmm. in Djibouti aside from China. Because, you know, Djibouti is actually the only country in the world that hosts so many um, military, mili- military bases.
0: Yeah. yeah, just for, I think, China,
1: the China, U.S., US France, France, Japan, Italy. Yeah. yeah, there are five countries there. Mm. And if you look, the Americans have been there for such a long time because of the conflict that happens in the... Middle East, mm-hmm. so that they're able to fly drones and drone attacks and all that. Americans have been there for so long, mm-hmm. but they have never dropped a dime mm-hmm. to maybe say better the the infrastructure or whatever the case. Mm-hmm. They just pay for for hosting rights okay. to be in to be in in, in Djibouti. Mm-hmm. But when China China came some few years back, mm-hmm. and there you can already see the hallmarks
0: okay. that. I think generally with China, it's 50-50. It is either you negotiate hard and you negotiate well for your own benefit, or if your country has corrupt, useless leaders, which unfortunately most African countries do, yeah. then China will just simply screw you over. But at the same time, we are seeing that currently, Zambia has taken on that taken on a lot of debt from China. And Zambia has actually defaulted on debt. Zambia started to default on its debt. And the Zambian government has asked the Chinese government for debt relief, like to postpone their interest payments on loans. And the Chinese government is just quiet. It's like, let's see who blinks first. You know...
1: (laughs) You know, let me tell you, and you know the worst part is, as much as the the, the the funds that we receive from China in Africa are beneficial, let me tell you one thing, the IMF and World Bank mm-hmm. are not going to bail any of us out, mm. because, you know, the biggest contributors to IMF and World Bank are Western nations, preferably specifically the United States, and there is no way the states will allow American money mm-hmm. to go to the Chinese the chinese bank Mm -hmm. you know you understand
0: also for viewers it's important to note that all the presidents of the world bank have been americans and all the presidents of the imf have been europeans exactly so
1: when 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 we are stuck in the debt trap uh, it's called debt Mm -hmm. trap diplomacy yeah when we are stuck in debt it's up to us by the way that so that's the that's the biggest danger Mm -hmm. that lies at bay Mm-hmm. Yes, it might be of help, but you gotta be careful because it comes at a cost and a heavy cost.
0: Something that the MF and World Bank do when a country has say defaulted or need its debts postponed is something called structural adjustment programs whereby they more or less tell the government to do X, y and Z in order which are part of the conditionalities of getting, bailouts like for example they'll say you have to devalue your currency you have to i don't know cut public spending spend less on this and that if i'm not from 80s and 90s kenya had economic problems due to the poor economic management of the moi presidency at the time then as part of the imf structural adjustment programs the imf told kenya that one you must spend less on universities. They more or less said we don't need universities, of Science. which universities produce top brains that ensure a long-term economic, economic success, success yeah. and guide society. <clears throat> and public Kenyan universities could not buy things as basic as textbooks without the approval of the World Bank. They also told the Kenyan government to spend less on public servants and healthcare. care. So, more or less, public servants lost their job in the civil service, and doctors and nurses were either let go or their salaries reduced. So, you see, these structural adjustment programs are really insidious. They target things that will limit your long term growth and potential. So, it's, a, it's an impediment to
1: our economy. Yeah, so more or less, the formula economic is. Economic growth. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> the formula is we give you debt. Or force you to take on debt because there have been times where the IMF and World Bank have forced countries to take on debt. It has high interest and they know you'll waste this money. It won't help you. You'll default. They say they'll bail you out but you must do X, Y and Z. And X, Y, Z just ends up harming your long-term economic... Growth. growth, oh, also part of these structural adjustment programs include like privatizing public services, like things like water, like electricity, which I don't think should be in the hands of the private sector. Uh I, I, don't know. I think no matter how much you may hate your government, you may think your government is incompetent, I do not think something as essential as water, electricity, should be in the hands of the private sector. You know, you've mentioned something very interesting there because. <clears throat> I was
1: listening. Did you watch this uh, this interview that Uhuru had with uh in in with France twenty
0: well, four? Nah, I didn't yeah, watch. Yeah, there it. was a,
1: there was an interview he was they were having mm. when he went to take on another debt.
0: One eighty billion shillings in debt. Which yes, one point eight billion
1: do- dollars. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So um, he was saying that in this in this contract can I call it a contract? Mm. In this contract it was, it was going to be financed by the private sector and not by the government. And you know the danger of so having... So
0: it's like the government is taking on public debt then twists it and says this is a public-private partnership. Yes, yeah. exactly.
1: And you know the danger of having private sector meddling in things that are for the public good mm-hmm. is that the, the private sector will always want... The highest return on investment, mm. and when you're talking of things that are for the public good, you always want something that has the lowest return on investment. So w- when you have when you when you're bringing in private sector on things that are gonna benefit your citizens, mm-hmm. you might actually be screwing your citizens over mm-hmm. a b- big time, big time.
0: So Western governments carry out Coca-Cola. it's say go to Cameroon sell to the Cameroonian people, get money from them, and they quote-unquote repatriate profits, whether back to America or their favorite tax haven. And then you you see that more or less they've taken money out of the Cameroonian economy and taken it to wherever, instead of, say, Coca-Cola, keeping it in bank accounts in Cameroon such that banks can then lend out that money, which helps people, or... Spending it on research and development, more factories, or whatever. Economic imperialism through their multinational companies. And these multinational companies are more or less economic Trojan horses. It's like, for example, by doing this thing of quote unquote repatriating profits, multinational companies more or less mess up the balance of payments of African countries, of coming to do business here and taking money out of the economy and leaving people more impoverished than they were. And they also do, like, predatory... Yeah. They kill
1: the business that...
0: Yeah, like they the, undercut the, the undercut, prices of yeah. local so it's businesses. Pre- predatory pricing, basically. Yeah, yeah such that local <clears throat> businesses cannot compete against such large companies. Okay, but then another issue I'm seeing with corporations is that they pollute the environment. They come and manufacture in countries that have weaker governments, weaker environmental laws. A good example of this is Royal Dutch Shell that has been polluting the Niger Delta in Nigeria. For decades and has more or less not done much about it but something I'm more concerned about is that earlier this year Apple the electronics the American electronics company reached two trillion dollars in market in valuation. valuation what I find dangerous about this not Apple specifically is that now we're entering an age of what maybe we can describe as neo-capitalism because African economies are weak. We've had to compete against alpha economies like France, like China, like the US and these alpha economies just keep increasing more and more. If you look at Latin America, there's Mexico, Argentina, Brazil. In Asia, they're also increasing. Look at Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines. So, African economies are weak. The number of alpha economies just keep increasing. And now, African countries must go toe-to-toe with alpha corporations. In 2019, the GDP of the entire African continent was 2.5 trillion US dollars. And a single corporation is worth 2 trillion USD. Nearly the entire economic output of a continent. That is something dangerous and i don't think we fully understand just how dangerous that is
1: you know when when i saw that when i saw that uh apple i think it was announced i think in the the is it the first quarter of this year mm-hmm. i'm not sure mm-hmm. but it was released this year and i actually laughed at first though it's not something to laugh about <laughs> because i mean so basically what you're telling me is that if you take apple mm-hmm. and maybe Microsoft, because mm-hmm. Microsoft is also a trillion dollar company, mm-hmm. and combine just the two corporations together. They're richer each, than Africa. Yeah, they're richer than Africa by far. Mm-hmm. By far, 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 far. And you know, and I, even
0: <laughs> the revenues alone, these companies do are larger, larger than most than economies most. in Africa. Because a company like Apple makes
1: well over in revenue revenue wise they make over 200 billion Mm dollars their profits coming at 60 billion Mm dollars i mean if you take an example of kenya our budget uh, is somewhere roughly around 30 billion Mm dollars annually apple makes and our economy is
0: about roughly 70 billion usd
1: they can impose their will on a on a nation. Yeah. For example, if you take Shell, Shell is actually a very big company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or Total or we- mm-hmm. Did you see I um there was there was a link I once shared with Akoto. I think it was a story, an article. Mm-hmm. They there was discovery of natural gas mm-hmm. in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. And I think Total is the it's either total or exxon i'm not sure Mm -hmm. is is the is the leading company in the exploration of that natural gas Mm -hmm. and the funny thing is that when i read that article there was no way i was seeing that this is gonna be for the benefit of africans Mm -hmm. the entire thing is led by european and western and western corporations you understand Mm -hmm. and you know the danger of that is a a country like Mozambique is economically weak Mm -hmm. and these companies are literally almost, they are bigger than than Mozambique's economy. So it's so easy for them to impose
0: their will Mm -hmm. onto that country. And then to add on to that, for our viewers, I want you to note Total is a French company and then I also want you to note that here in Kenya, in 2019, the current French president, Emmanuel Macron, came to Kenya to talk, what we shall Mm euphemistically call business. And it's not something I realized until my uncle pointed it out to me, is that ever since Emmanuel Macron visited Kenya in 2019, Several French multinationals have set up in Kenya. You don't even there have
1: been more police cars by the way.
0: Yeah, because if you notice, more and more cars in Kenya are Pujo. Yeah. And they are bought from Pujo, a, a French company. Yeah. Peugeot has set up an assembly plant here in Kenya. Carrefour, one yeah. of the world's largest Retail. retailers, has set up in Kenya. Rubis Energy has bought out Kenol and Kobyl and has set up shop here in Kenya. And I did not know Ruby was French until my uncle told me. Then if you also look at this mall in Karen. Yeah, they have mall in Karen. There's this shop called Decathlon. And when you Google it, Decathlon is literally the world's largest sporting goods retailer. So I've noticed... Emmanuel Macron comes to Kenya, then all of a sudden, all these French multinational companies start setting up shop in the Kenyan economy. And it doesn't take much to simply join those dots, dots together. that some things were done in the background in order yeah. to, facilitate to facilitate all these companies in order to come here.
1: And you see, the thing is, mm-hmm. the, that, I feel like that, will, that was a very silly decision that was made. Not silly per se. Mm-hmm. If you look at it like this, mm-hmm. yes, there will be many jobs that will be created. Mm-hmm. And yes, there will be some inflow of money then, into our economy. But then, but then, quote, quote, then we are unquote, undermining mm-hmm.
0: our own brands. Yeah, and they will repatriate. They exactly. Perfect. But to wrap up on economic imperialism, the French are the most voracious colonialists in history (laughs) the french beat the british by a mile because there's this thing called the cfa franc it's a currency mostly used by western and central african countries that were former french colonies colonies, and this currency was set up in the 1940s while they were still colonized by france and during independence, these countries said we no longer want France's CFA franc. What does France do? France said that we quote unquote brought development civilization to these countries. So just before independence, France destroyed the bridges, the roads, the hospitals, the schools, and the churches of these Western and Central African states. And they even pumped concrete into their water and sewerage systems to make the pipes useless. Like they destroyed infrastructure just before independence as a form of coercion. So these governments were then forced to sign a quote-unquote treaty that they'll pay reparations to France because France is now disadvantaged that they can no longer extract free economic resources from these former colonies. And these reparations are paid in the form of the CFA franc. So for our viewers, I want you to listen to the conditionalities of the CFA franc Then tell me, then just think about it. Mm -hmm. And the CFA Mm -hmm. franc is used by countries such as Chad, the Central African Republic, Cameroon, Togo, and Ivory Coast. So first and foremost, the CFA franc... Their notes are printed in Paris. The currency is controlled by the French Central Bank in Paris. So even
1: the monetary policies yeah. are under the French government. Central Bank.
0: Yeah, they have no. They have no freedom on their, on their own, fiscal policies. Yeah, on and their own o- of their own currency. All right. Then these countries must first keep fifty percent of their foreign reserves in the French Central Bank, and if they want to access. That 50% in the French Central Bank, you know, they can only access up to 20% of the amount they collected the previous year in revenue. 20% of that 50% is taken by the French government in order to cover quote-unquote liabilities. And if you want to borrow more than that 20%, the, the French government lends you your own money, money. at commercial lending rates.
1: They're basically playing as if, how do I put it? How do I? It's like you're the bank, I give you my money, mm-hmm. but when I want to come for it, it's like you're charging me
0: to take out, to my, take money. out my money as a loan. As a loan. Yeah, that's oh what they're gosh. doing. And the French government takes this money deposited by these Central and West African countries and uses it to invest in whatever it wants. So you see, they're taking your economic resources, then holding on to them, and on top of holding on to them, goes out into the world and invests them for their own for the, benefit, and they France's lend you back your money. Economic benefit. Yeah. Wow. If you're That's French, actually sad. If you're French and you're listening to this, I just want to tell you, your government is the worst government in history. In oh my God. I didn't know that personally. That I didn't is know that. how voracious the French government is.
1: But you know, most of these governments have, have played us dirty anyway. But as much as they've played us dirty, I've not heard of one that is as bad as that. Maybe you'd say the Americans are next with look at what they did in Libya. You know, but... So... Anywho.
0: That is just how... Insidious economic imperialism, sinister. On this very country. sinister
1: and insidious, and
0: quite at the same time and done quietly. Something else that we need to do in order to improve the economic lives of Africans okay. is that one: we need to change our mindset because several Africans say we have mineral resources. Why aren't we rich? But like I've said earlier, yeah, we need to. Refining by your addition, it needs to make products out of them that are wanted. But yes. increasingly, in the 21st century, we see that, that economic prosperity does not come necessarily or exclusively from natural resources, but also from, but mainly from the people from intellectual property because yeah. more and more. As the world is propelled by scientific research, Research. innovation, and technology, it is what's in the heads of your people that will help you. Because recently I read this book called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, and he talks about even if, let's say, we assume China could invade the United States and capture its West Coast. In Silicon Valley, China will not find any silicon mines, but the wealth of Silicon Valley comes from the, the knowledge, knowledge within yes. the coders and the designers that work within Silicon Valley. The wealth of Hollywood comes from the creativity, creativity of, of the, the directors, directors, the script writers, the skills of the ABC, actors, yeah, the, yeah, the actors sound technicians. yeah. So more and more, even if you invade a country, for as long as its wealth is generated from out of the minds of its people, there's not much you can get out of it. You may coerce them, but there's not much. So you're saying that basically we should have more intellectual property
1: rights and, yeah. and, and laws okay. and policies. Yeah.
0: In order to facilitate that, yes, we first and foremost need better proper stronger property rights, better intellectual property laws. And also, we need to change our mindset that wealth is not just natural resources, natural resources. or land. land, because generally throughout Africa, land is a very emotive. It's the big say. It's the big say yeah. in in our
1: African context.
0: Yeah, but then I'd say, and because most of our economies are agricultural based, firstly, and secondly. There are lots of historical land injustices where you find presidents simply stole land outright by virtue of being in power government, and that's why land is such an emotive issue throughout Africa from here in Kenya to Nigeria to to South Africa to Zimbabwe, Tanzania, it's it's all over Africa, it's like a plague. Yeah, so land is a very emotive issue. But then also something I realized when I had a conversation earlier with my uncle is that land is one of the greatest issues in Africa, but one of the greatest assets in that look at it this way. Let's take, for example, Kenya. Kenya has about 30% of the Kenyan population lives in urban centers and 70% in rural Areas, but then here in Africa, we have this concept that we here in Kenya call ushago, whereby that people historically lived in rural areas, rural areas that are maybe dominated by one sort of like ethnic group. Then over time, as cities sprang up, that people move from rural areas to the city. But then you see, within the African mindset. I don't say I live in Nairobi. You may say we live in Nairobi. I may say I'm a Nairobian because I've lived in Nairobi my whole life. But in all practicality, we act like we are simply immigrants to this city to live here temporarily, even though we may live here permanently. Because typically around Christmas, we go back to our Ushago, which is in these rural areas that historically our parents and and, of the various ethnic groups they are from came from. Even if our parents, many of us, our parents grew up in rural areas. Some of them grew up here in the city, like in Nairobi. Like my mom grew up here in Nairobi. But you see her parents, my grandparents, grew up in Oshago. Such that now, even if you see, like during the pandemic, people have lost their jobs. If it's hard to live in the city, I go to shags, shags. And you see in shags, I own the land. I own the house in which I live there and I probably have enough land left over to grow most of my food such that now that protects me. But I don't think we Africans really view that as a form of economic protection because also it requires you to be able to understand the world deeply in order to see that as a form of protection. Because like when people are saying in the US it's estimated 40 million Americans are at risk of eviction from their houses because they can't pay rent their or their mortgages. Whereas here, with our concept of Ushago, it that it protects us. If it's hard in the city, go to you the village defect, where you can mortgage. grow your own food and you don't pay rent. And it's something that's common throughout Africa. So, And I think it's important that we continue that tradition. But what is putting that tradition at danger is that before colonialism we did not we as a people or as peoples did not view land as in necessarily economic terms that me as a court as this private individual i own 10 acres of this land no land was always held as a community you may say this farm belongs to john Usually it was a man because most of our societies are patriarchal. Patriarchal, But this man does not own it as an individual. He only owns it in trust on behalf of his family or his community. So now as land prices go up because that's just simply the nature of capitalism, more and more people want to sell off their land. And you see, in selling it off, they're selling off their security, that economic security provided by owning my own land. Whereas if you see in developed countries, most of them do not necessarily own land. Like, I may own an apartment in the middle of Amsterdam or something, Mm -hmm. but I don't own like a separate house somewhere else. Somewhere else. In the developed world, that's the preserve of the rich Whereas here, owning two homes is something pretty common, even for the normal yeah the normal person. Yeah, I own a home in the city, whether I've bought it or rent it, and then I have a second home, like in my rural shags. So I think it's important that we preserve that aspect of our culture because then it protects us economically. You really expounded on
1: that. Um, it's, it. I've I've always thought of it. But I never really gave deep thought into it. Mm. But now when you, when you when you when you put it in that light, mm. it actually makes much more sense. yeah, it, it makes much more sense.
0: And then another issue is that you may not view this as wealth because we've been taught to think in terms of the West, mm-hmm. because by Western standards, most people don't own the title deeds of that land. But they own it if you ask their neighbors who lives there they'll say flani na flani lives, yeah, there. lives there and just because we do not own title deeds to those houses because we do not have zip codes or post office boxes to identify this specific house in this specific place and we did not buy that land with our own cash necessarily in using mortgages you see by western standards that's not considered traditional ownership when the truth is we own that land and we live there and we prosper there and we use it for our own benefit. Good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know something also now that, that you're in the on the point of wealth.
0: Yeah.
1: As as a people. Yeah. I was reading an article on Forbes. Um just when Bezos surpassed the I think the one fifty billion dollar mark yeah. in mm-hmm. his net worth.
0: Yeah.
1: And I read something quite interesting that the author wrote. Mm -hmm. The author was saying that in this day and age, the best store for wealth Mm -hmm. as an individual Mm -hmm. is start a company, Mm -hmm. um, a relevant company, maybe say a service that is actually needed in the present day and age it doesn't even have to be in the present day and age because i mean if you're ahead of the curve yeah you can tell what will be needed in like five years in four years mm-hmm. start that let it amass the valuation mm-hmm. and and all that and let that be the store store of wealth for you because okay. the author was saying that in today's world mm-hmm. the stocks your stocks are gonna be the best Store of wealth for you, okay. and I feel like I'd like, like to counter
0: will... argue that why you're thinking like a Westerner. Look at our socio-economic context.
1: Exactly. No, but you know the <laughs> thing is,
0: yeah,
1: you're trying yeah. to look at it as because we're not gonna stay here forever. Yeah, right. Eventually, at some point, mm-hmm. we will grow, mm-hmm. right? And um, just the fa- but, and also the fact that um we are our also our stock exchanges are not as big as and why need the new york stock exchange or the beijing and all that mm-hmm. i still feel like we can still have people doesn't have to be everyone mm-hmm. but a few african people spearheading this that will bring back investment but because if you start maybe can i say a a, a, a knockoff of uber and it actually hits mm. like it becomes properly big. Mm. Maybe you but can. a
0: native version.
1: Yeah, but a native version. Yeah. Maybe you say you end up enlisting it in the New York <coughs> Stock Exchange mm-hmm. or doing a spark. But at the end of the day, whatever money that we you will get for maybe for taking the company public and all that, you reinvest it mm-hmm. back to your country.
0: Yeah.
1: It might be a store of wealth for you. Maybe you will have a net worth of maybe say ten billion dollars mm. or whatever the amount. I'm just giving rough figures, mm. but whatever the whatever money you have, whatever money you get, mm-hmm. you reinvest it back into your country. I feel like that will be a very big, a big. Can I say a big step to mm. Mm. Okay. To, to to economic advancement in yeah. a way? Okay. In your, how how do you how do you see it? Because it's just a thought that came in mind. As okay, we were just talking.
0: Okay, I think um, the countries in this continent is hard because of mismanagement of economies, because of corruption. Corruption is something that will come to a bit later and various other things. But you see, what gives me hope, there are people on this continent who have become dollar millionaires by doing legitimate business. If you look at Aliko Dangote, of, of, nigeria. of nigeria and his company dangote, the dangote Group. yeah, yeah. he makes cement he sells sugar sells wheat fertilizers yeah. petrochemicals yeah that wheat he makes it into pasta cells and now the dangote group as a private company is building I think, one of the largest oil refineries on this continent. Refinery. Yeah. yeah, because currently Nigeria exports its crude oil. Its refined elsewhere, probably the UK or the Netherlands and in that's the Rotterdam. Why they lose the money. Yeah, Then they simply re-import their own oil now as finished petroleum products. Product. But instead of that, Aliko Dangote is building yeah. an oil refinery in Nigeria. in Nigeria. Okay, some people say that Dangote only got rich because he's close to those in power. And Dangote has a net worth of... Arguably, yes. But I say, if being close to those in government was what was necessary for Dangote to build himself, then so be it. We just That'd simply have to be pragmatic and practical. I'd want the listeners to know that we can look at Kenyan Indians, right here in Kenya. V-Mansha. If you listen to the first episode, What is Pan-Africanism? You'll be aware that we talked about what Africans, non indigenous Africans. Yeah, so now, like here in Kenya, when the British brought Indians to build the yeah, railway, like because we black Africans did not have those skills, then uh, many of them remained. Here in Kenya, as Palastia census, we have a population of 47 million people. And in Kenya, there are about 100,000 Kenyans. Of Indian ethnicity. And that's 0.01% of the population. But the funny thing is, this 0.01% of the population. Those are the top con- 1%, yeah, basically. is like in the like the 1% of Kenya. You know, in America, they say they are 1% are billionaires. Most of Kenya's 1% are ethnic Indians. And then there's this thing that Indians do that is really smart it's called ethnoagglomeration, whereby we Indians live in a certain neighborhood in this neighborhood we work together we send our children to school together they know each other and because In the Indian community arranged marriages are something pretty normal so people arrange marriages and this helps their business interests as well then also they teach their children business because you see if let's say to use a stereotypical name patel Mm -hmm. owns let's say a garage and by the way these garages you see industrial area in town that look dingy and filthy that's where the real economy is yeah all these glitzy skyscrapers you see nairobi is kuku feature match or like that's not where the money is the made. Money is in this made. country, the money is made out there in the dust outside the city. That's where the real big money is made. Nobody will ever tell you that. They'll tell you go to school, get a degree, get a job. Money is made in the dust. And you see, Patel grows up going with his father to his, let's to his say garage. yeah, to his garage. He goes with him there every weekend. Every holiday. He goes there, sees how his father interacts with employees, see how it's managed, sees his father go through the financial accounts, etc., etc. His father will tell him some things explicitly, some things he'll observe, internalize, and would have learned them. So like that, like that. And Patel goes off to study, let's say, business, or goes and studies engineering. And he brings that academic knowledge, he's learned in university plus the practical knowledge of being involved in the family business for years then he brings it back. Then he incorporates into the family business, and it grows. And he does the same thing with his own son, and that, and the bus- family business is kept in the, yeah, within the family. And then I've also said that in this country, in Kenya, money is made in the dust. There was this time whereby... My uncle had bought a farm in Kisaju, along Mombasa Road. So now he was just fencing it. So now, as we were going there, as it was me, my uncle, and one of my cousins, then my uncle pointed it out to me that, now there's this earth mover they were using to build the wall. He was like, to buy this earth mover, you can buy it secondhand for 7 million from Italy. Then the standard price of renting it out is 4600 an hour. Whereas, if you secure a contract with many of these Chinese companies here in Kenya,
1: Mm
0: you will typically rent it out for 4200 an hour. So, if you sit down and you do the math whereby you rent out this earth mover for 4600 an hour. Let's say on average you rent it out for 10 hours a day, Seven. 6 days a week. That's, and then in a 4 weeks, in a month, that's 1.1 million from a single earth mover.
1: And that's in a month?
0: Yeah, that's in a month from one earth mover. And then one of the guys, were my uncle was renting the earth mover from came. And then my cousin just whispered to me, you see this guy? This guy who are renting the earth mover from. He has like seven of these machines, and this guy is a millionaire. Like after that math was explained to me, you know this guy is a millionaire, but he doesn't look like it. Just one jeans, a t-shirt, some ugly sport shoes, and he's driving a Toyota Isis. And this guy has serious money, but he doesn't look like it. So that's also another way in which money is made in the dust, but nobody will tell you that the big bucks are made in the dust. It's like money in housing is in
1: affordable housing, not your fancy, not the fancy, fancy big apartment.
0: Yeah, because. We keep seeing like these high-end apartments. High-end apartments yeah. yeah, being sold by companies like Hass Consult. But the real money it's is in... in
1: Eastlands, the places that have those yeah. housing complexes. Yeah. yeah,
0: like I'll put the link to this article in the description of the podcast. Whereby there's a woman who earns three million a month from renting out mabati shacks in slums. Oh Think God. about it. she's a monopoly,
1: right? I don't because know. for you to make 3 million out of Mabati Sharks, okay. you are, must really be owning many of them.
0: You yeah. Must. But that just demonstrates that... I also think for Africans, you have to stop thinking in terms of the formal economy until reach a point where most of our economies are formal. The real money is made down there in the yeah. informal economy. Yeah. And that's not something... You can read from a library or they'll teach you at school, but the real money is made in the informal economy down there, what here we'd call the Kadogo economy. That's where the real money is made. And you know, it's actually an interesting thing that you've brought up how that guy that you met um,
1: when you went to the. The 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 Akmova guy, yes. How he was simply dressed. How he was simply dressed as just a casual guy. You know, one thing, I've interacted with a couple of friends. Mm. Can, friends, acquaintances. Yeah. And one thing I see is that our young people don't really have that concept of the value of money mm. in their heads. Mm. Because you meet somebody, you know, you can just give them even a hypothetical situation, like, if you got this amount, what will you do? Hey, he knows you, I'm gonna buy a Rolls Royce and all that. They're all Rolls-Royce about
0: that. our Exactly. <laughs>
1: you know, it, it's actually funny. It's <laughs> ironical. And when you listen, mm. you're like, I... Are you sure, like, are you sure of what you're saying? Yeah. Because I feel like the, the Western type of life that you see on music videos, mm. I don't know, guys are wearing iced chains and all that, mm. has really painted a facade yeah. in even our African children. Think to the a way point, think, yeah. yeah, the way they think
0: yeah.
1: is that I have to be seen moving the high-rolling life. You know, I have to mm-hmm. be seen here, dressed like this, mm-hmm. doing this. Yeah. And you find in a way that if you, even if you start a business mm. and it's earning you money, but as long as you have that mentality, you'll always find that you're depleting your money faster than it comes mm. for you to try and prove a
0: point. Mm. The unfortunate thing is that many people in this country are poor, but there's also people with massive, massive amounts, amounts of, of wealth. wealth. It's like, for example, um, the Business Daily published this article. The Central Bank released this report that since March, at the start of the pandemic, wealthy Kenyans have converted about 83 billion shillings in their personal accounts into dollars to preserve the The value. value of their money. Then... I'll try and look for this article and link it as well, whereby the Business Daily again went to banks and asked them, how many accounts do you have that have 100 million in cash, individual accounts? And about 10,000 people in this country have about 100 million in cold hard cash just sitting in their bank accounts. And also, at the time, me and my cousin, we decided we want to see residential real estate. So we just drove around here in Kileleshwa, in Nairobi. And then in Kileleshwa, um, typically a three-bedroom apartment goes for 15 million and a four-bedroom apartment, 20 million. And we went to this place. It had several houses, like maybe about 68. I don't remember the exact number, but when you do the math, you find that within that small plot, that's about 2.5 billion worth of residential property. And the funny thing is, the woman who took us around to see those apartments was a Chinese woman. A Chinese woman has boarded a plane from Guangzhou to Nairobi Nairobi. and has taken a loan maybe from the Exim Bank of China to come and build Build wealth here in in Africa. Most Africans do not see the wealth staring them in the face but foreigners see it, then when these foreigners come to exploit opportunities and resources that are staring us in the face, we say that we have been taken advantage advantage of. of. But also, you see, you need to be smart enough because, you see, not to brag, not to be proud, but we are more or less highly educated. We are currently going to university and we actively read for ourselves. And seek out experiences that will teach us stuff. So unless you seek out these experiences or know how these things work, you will not see it. You will not see it. And that's true. And you know, that's why <clears throat> you constantly see
1: investors. Mm. Like, you remember the time Jack Ma was here? Yeah. With his billionaire counterpart. Mark
0: Zuckerberg has also come to Kenya. Mark Zuckerberg has
1: also come to Kenya. And you know, when, when once you, st- you... You know, they say that Dalili Amvua Ni Mawingu. It's just a Kenyan saying... For the non-Swahili speakers, it's a Kenyan, it's a Kenyan saying that says that the for you to know the rain is coming, you see you the first you see, see the, the clouds. storm clouds. Yeah, yeah the, the storm clouds are what you will see first. Yeah, and in this context, if you see them coming like that, there is surely something yeah. that they are seeing
0: that you're that not,
1: as we are not seeing. Yeah, as Africans, and if we don't beat them to it, they'll beat us in our own game. They'll beat us at our own game rather. Yeah which will be sad because we don't want it to be in a situation whereby we start complaining at it, oh, we're being taken advantage of when it's basically, can I say that it's our ignorance that has failed us yeah. as a people? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's partly our ignorance, but then I'd also say lack of skills lack of and incompetence, and, and I think also downright mediocrity. Even
1: capital is an issue. Yeah. Because, you know, for them, for them maybe... Oh. Of course, for a guy like Jack Ma, capital is nothing.
0: Okay, something I've seen people say is a hindrance to here in Africa is corruption. And ah, we'll, thank you. Yeah. Actually, let's let's speak about corruption
1: because yeah. it's the white horse in the in Wait the up. discussion that we've just been waiting.
0: Okay. To tackle on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that also in the next episode, episode four, which will be about politics. Yeah. Politics. Yeah. Gone
1: you know when when you speak of corruption, you know i was I was reading um a report by u n and it was stating that Africa loses annually loses well over ninety billion dollars because of corruption. Another interesting thing to note before I get back to that mm. for if you take an example of South Africa
0: yeah, basically, the first president of Kenya Jomo Kenyatta. Yes, like all other African presidents, he was corrupt. But you know the thing is, the way in which Kenyan corruption deviates from corruption, say, in Western or Central Africa, is that our politicians have egos. So, and to satisfy their ego, they want big, flashy things they can point to. They are like, and a common way for politicians to launder money is hotels. You like, you see that hotel over there? That's mine. You see this Range Rover? It's mine. It's mine. Business export, what, what, it's mine. Such that politicians steal money from government, then launder it through their businesses. But you see, the lucky thing is that money stays within the Kenyan economy. As much as it's stolen from government and laundered through businesses, yeah. it stays in the Kenyan economy in that it stays in Kenyan banks, and those businesses, they launder their money through give jobs that people then go spend that money within the economy. And like, say, if you look at the Central African Republic, the politicians steal that money, then take the it to... Accounts in Panama. Yeah, you take US. it to tax havens in Panama, in the Cayman Islands, secret bank accounts in Switzerland, theft in Kenya, where money is stolen. But it stays within the Kenyan economy. And that's why Kenya is one of the most advanced African countries Though, in, if you compare to other countries, we are far behind. Yeah, are far behind. But that's why Kenya as a country keeps inching forward unlike most other African countries that just stay behind or just completely like in a downward spiral of chaos. And despite the, all the problems like here in Kenya, it's that one, yes, money is stolen and it stays in the country. You also have, I think, compared to the region, relative political stability. Then also Mpesa, like the mobile payment system yeah. that's cash-based. Cash that's based. also another way you can launder money. Just deposit it into several Mpesa accounts. So that keeps money within the Kenya economy. And that's why Kenya at least keeps inching forward. forward. But as much as it inches us forward,
1: that money the money that is being stolen, the oh, corrupt just money. Hold on.
0: And to our viewers, this does not mean I endorse corruption. I do not <laughs> <laughs> it's important you've noted out. Hey guys we we'll have thought my friend. Yeah. But
1: if you look at it like this, as much as you're saying it's inching us forward, mm-hmm. do you know how much more could have been done mm. if that money was invested in infrastructure? Yeah. If the money was invested in social services, Mm -hmm. do you know how much further we will have been? If you just take an example, I think it was back in the early days, Mm -hmm. was it called the golden bug scandal? Mm -hmm. Where over 50 billion shillings at the time, Mm -hmm. you can imagine, we were really struggling at the time. Mm -hmm. Our economy was in the pits, and 50 billion went missing. Mm -hmm. Do you imagine if, just that one example, Mm -hmm. and you know, they've been so, Kenya has told these guys who've been in power, you know, our problem that's has been ailing us from a long time is that we've not been having meritocratic leaders mm-hmm. and leaders who are just smart. Let okay. me just
0: put it like that. Okay. And as we wrap up the podcast, for African governments to progress, I think there are three main areas they need to invest in. One, education, because a nation is nothing without its people. Number two, healthcare. Number three, think infrastructure. But the issue of infrastructure is that most Africans think infrastructure must be a road, must be a bridge. It must be something you can see, you can walk on, you can drive on. Or in rural areas that have tarmac roads where there are not much cars, it's asphalt that gets hot at midday and that you put your maze on to dry because it just is hot and infrastructure can be i think what you can call okay less things that are less visible is like for example even in my shags it's a really rural area in mount Longonot, near the ugandan border this 4g internet
1: uh mount elgon
0: yeah oh yeah mount elgon and something like Just not having streets that flood when it rains, that's still infrastructure. infrastructure. Having reliable water and electricity supply is still infrastructure. Yeah, water and sanitation. So, we have to stop this mentality. Infrastructure must be this huge, shiny, beautiful road, road, railway. And then someone will then come and cut a ribbon. It makes zero zero (sighs) sense. Yeah. And then also these infrastructure projects have to be thought out and be economically viable. They must be
1: strategic. Yeah. They what must have strategy? a strategic... You know, one thing with strategy is, though I might be going off mm. the record a bit, mm. it's like, you know what we were discussing earlier, mm. the Belt and Road Initiative? Yeah. There's this one time I pulled to you, Akoto, an an analogy of what China is trying to become using the Belt and Road Initiative.
0: It's like trying to be... You said it's a it's, nation it's, state trying to become state the Dutch East Indian yeah,
1: Company. The Dutch East Indian Company yeah. of the 21st century. Yeah, Because if you look at everything they do, they just don't do because they wake up, they're like, ah, no, today we're going to put money here. Mm. It's all strategic. Because if you look at... Remember that military base we were talking about earlier on yeah. in Djibouti? To is To the control trade between the Strait of Mandeb, yeah. the, because you know it's a connection point between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. Yeah. And through that's the a Swiss very. Canal. They are through the Suez Canal. And it's a very important part mm. because all goods from Europe have to pass through there, yeah. lest they go around Africa like that, Kabisa, yeah. to go all the way to China. And if you look at everything they've invested in, it all leads to trade flowing to China to China.
0: Yeah, Like, like strategic ports, like A the Lamo port here port. in Kenya is yeah, financed by China. By China. Ports China. in Sri Lanka. Ports in Djibouti. Then also you see, I've seen Can- China has gone to Ghana and invested in bauxite mines. What does bauxite give us? Aluminium. It has gone and invested in bauxite mines. China has gone to South Africa invested in gold, diamond, and platinum mines. So something also to note is that China is going around not just Africa, but the world, oh. buying strategic mines, building strategic ports, railways, etc., to secure resources for itself.
1: An important question here, Koto. Hmm? Is there something that China is seeing that <clears throat> the Americans
0: are failing to see? For our viewers, there's a book I'm currently reading called When China rules the world, you should go read it. But what I've basically gotten from that book roughly is that the Chinese government thinks long-term. The Chinese government thinks in terms of decades, not four-year election cycles that the American government. The American government, yes, does think long-term, but I think of late... In 2020, you're seeing the madness in America. Yeah. Some, yeah. a lot of, several things have gone wrong over yeah. there. And then China, the Chinese government, then also, they think long term, they think strategic, and maybe right. also why developing countries are receptive to China is because because China was never a colonizer. They don't view them with the same hostility that they would Western governments, though. We wait and see if China can become an economic imperialist like the United States. States. So I simply think China thinks long-term and is in it to win. America has its own madness Madness. right now. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you to all our viewers for listening to the Ufanisi cast. And I will see you next
1: time on episode...